Hello, welcome. Welcome to our Board of Education meeting. This is the Shawnee Mission Board of Education, our regular meeting of August 27th. Welcome, thank you for being here. Our first item on the agenda is item A, one, which is our Pledge of Allegiance, and we are pleased to bring forward Principal Britt Pumphrey and the students from the Apache Innovative School. Please come forward. And everyone else can stand too, please. Thank you, well done. And Mr. Pumphrey, would you like to introduce our guests? Yeah, is, this microphone's working. Um, I would love to introduce them and their families as well. I'll start with them. From the left, we have Presley Deckard, Seitatao Dessaline, Eileen Diaz, Lucy Land, Harper Hetz, Jeanette Ramirez, Amani Githinji, and John DeVault. You guys can go ahead and wave to everybody if you would like. <laughs> and then um, families who are here, because we have some wonderfully supportive families um, at Apache Innovative School. Um, if you are a family member of one of them, would you mind waving real quick? Uh, And finally, with us tonight, um, my administrative intern, um, Jenna Teddy, is here as well. And thank you guys for the invite. Thank you to the board for inviting us. Um, we were very happy to come. Great. Yeah. Thank you for being thank you. here. Thank you all. Thank you. With that, we'll move on to item B, and that's B1, and that's the adoption of the agenda. And I'll seek a mo motion to adopt the agenda for this evening. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Uh, Dr. Sinclair. Thank you. All those in favor of adopting the agenda, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We move on to item C, which is the approval of the minutes. I'll seek a motion to approve the minutes from the meeting of August 13. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. All those in favor of approval of the minutes of August 13, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. And that passes 7-0. Thank you for that. With that, we move on to item D, which is the superintendents and board member report. And I'll turn to Dr. Fulton for the superintendent report. Okay, thank you very much. So excited everyone could come out tonight. Thank you for attending. The Kansas Art Education Association recently named Heather Hutner, who's an art teacher at Crestview Elementary, as the KAEA Kansas Outstanding Elementary Art Teacher for 2018-2019. She is honored for her contributions to art as an art teacher at Crestview, as an active member of the Kansas Art Association and in the local art community. Congratulations to Heather for this great, uh, this great honor. We also want to recognize Elizabeth Hackworth, a third grade teacher at Ray Marsh, and Steve Lanier, an industrial arts teacher at Trail Ridge Middle School. Uh, they began this year as award-winning educators. They were presented earlier this year with the Outstanding Teacher Award by the Eastern Chapter of the Kansas Society of Professional Engineers for Excellence in Teaching Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. So thank you to Elizabeth and Steve for their great work. Johnny Mission East recently received the 
Amigos de las Americas Global Citizenship Award. The award is given to schools that have demonstrated a commitment to service and global competency, demonstrated a commitment to Spanish language acquisition, and has students who successfully completed the Amigos summer program. So congratulations to Shawnee Mission East. And then finally, we want to recognize Laura Brogdon, who's an associate uh, principal at Hawker Grove. She earned her doctorate in educational administration from the University of Kansas. And we congratulate her on this great achievement. Congratulations to all of our staff and students for the wonderful job that they do. All right. Thank you for that update. And we'll now to turn to item two, which are uh, reports from the board members. And I'll just go down the list to see if any updates. I'll turn to Reverend Guy, an update from SMAC PTA. Um, several board members attended the SMAC PTA breakfast last Friday, I believe. It was for the PTA presidents and principals of the schools in our district. It was an exciting time um, to hear more about what SMAC PTA does. And I got to start uh, connecting and meeting with some of the leadership there. So I'll get on their email list and be able to attend their their regular meetings as they go on. But it was a great kickoff to the year. And I encourage everyone to support your local PTA. If you haven't become a member, it's, it's time to do it. Great. Thank you for that update. And several of us were there, and I'm going to take a real risk now. Not a risk, an opportunity. I missed it after the meeting, and uh, they pointed out that I'm an at-large member, and so I don't have a direct relationship to any of the areas. So the first three uh, PTAs that reach out to me by email to solicit my membership for PTA, I will be glad to join. So we'll see who's out there watching. Um, with that, uh, Mrs. Owsley, any update from, from Shawnee Mission Education Foundation? So I went to my first Education Foundation Board meeting with Dr. Fulton, um, and they really just gave a recap of the dinner with Milton Chin and how that was mm -hmm. a success and how they had initially budgeted for that to not raise any funds because it was the first of its speaker series, um, but that they did, in fact, raise money off of it. So that was good news. Great. Great. Thank you for that update. And uh, a lot going on at KASB this weekend. I'll turn to Mrs. Zila for an update from the Board of Directors. Yes, um, we met in Topeka on Tuesday. We had a joint meeting with the Legislative Committee, and then uh, the two um, entities broke apart. In In the Board of Directors meetings, we kind of discussed the, what's going on as far as NSBA and um, Western Region, of which we are a part of. People wonder about that. There's a Pacific region as well. So we are the Western region. Um, and that encompasses South Dakota and Nebraska and Colorado, and et cetera. But um, we started strategic planning. Uh, the first kind of toe in the water for that. I guess they do this every five years. Not been a part of that in my time at, at KASB. And uh, we're trying to figure out what is strategically abandoned um, good ideas, bad ideas, old ideas, and um, kind of move ahead. Um, I think one thing, they have the regional meetings. We're kind of questioning whether the regional meetings are an efficient use of both KASB time and money, and if it benefits those that are just the same folks hearing the same message over and over again that, that attend those. So um, lots of food for thought, and we meet again in a couple of months in November. All right. Thank you for that commitment. We appreciate that. And then uh, Dr. Sinclair, Legislative and Government Network. Uh, so the legislative um, meeting was held also that Saturday. And um, just a bit of background, the KASB operates off of a member-driven legislative platform that is um, reviewed, revised, approved annually. 
so the members then across the state can identify what those legislative priorities should be if they should change or not for each year. And so the, um, this was kind of that first meeting to review how this session, the KSB advocacy team will go around, um, they call it the um, summer advocacy tour, and they gather, they get feedback from uh, school boards from across the state, and they also kind of consolidate feedback in their experiences throughout the year, and they bring that, infuse that into the legislative platform, and kind of begin discussions with the legislative advocacy representatives from across the state. So this committee is about 15 people. And so we began that process of taking feedback and reviewing and looking to see if changes should be made um, for the coming legislative session. And it started off with the board of directors and then we broke out for the rest of the day with just the legislative team to kind of really work through the details. Um, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I'd be, uh, I'd be curious to invite our superintendent. So one of the first comments was just thinking about the coming Kansas legislative session. Um, there was conversations around school finance and choice and all sorts of kinds of things. I don't know if there's any kind of thoughts or um, that you might have kind of for the legislative. I do have lots of thoughts. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> I do have lots of thoughts. Uh -huh. uh, and I'll share a little tonight in my, my okay. entry plan presentation okay. about the importance of public schools and also uh, how they make a difference in the community. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So I did the academic and me couldn't help it, so I typed up notes. I shared it with you all. If anybody else from the board would like a copy, uh, I'm happy to forward. Thank you. Thank you both for attending those. And I do know that our the fall program that our area would attend is October 6th, I think, or something like that in Lawrence, and I believe Dr. First. Fulton will be attending as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. First, thank you. October 1st. All right, um, I turn to, to Mrs. Goodburn. Any updates on yours? Yes. Great. We do have updates. Great. So I'll be spending my day in Topeka on September 8th, I believe it's a Saturday. So the nominating committee will be meeting, and I will bring a report after that meeting. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, any of the task forces have any updates? I'll just look up and down the aisle to see. Yes, Mrs. Zila. Well, I would say we have a meeting on the board now on September 13th. The Professional Services Committee will meet. Um, that will be a joint meeting of the three on the board members that are a part of that and then four administrators as well who are doing a lot of the digging for us, which is nice. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. With that, uh, we move on to item E, which is the time for public comment. I'll read a couple of quick items here, and we'll invite some guests forward. Uh, public comment is a time for public is a, is a time for the public comment to occur at the regular scheduled board meetings to provide an opportunity for individuals to address the board regarding school district issues. Uh, patrons are encouraged to electronically submit their requests to speak uh, to public comment by 3 p.m. Friday before the regular scheduled meeting, or up until 10 minutes before our regular board meeting. Um, here are just a few additional reminders that uh, will help the speakers have a constructive and positive experience when presenting comments to the board. Uh, when you're invited to come forward, please proceed to the podium, and when your name is called, please share your name, your city of residence, what schools your children may attend if that's appropriate, and the name of any group or organization that you're representing. Um, I do ask that you leave, uh, limit your comments to three minutes, and uh, we provide a little clock up on the board there that'll signal 30 seconds left, and, and again, when the time is up, just to keep us on track there. Um, please make your comments while staying behind the podium would be great. And um, 
If any comments pertain to items on tonight's agenda, the board president may ask the superintendent or his designee to address those comments at that time and when the time or when it's up for board discussion. But otherwise, generally, there's no response from board members to public comment other than maybe perhaps with some clarifying questions. And with that, we have several folks that have come today to join us and share some thoughts. And the first up is Dave Trobert. Come on forward. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, again, my name is Dave Trobert. Um, I live in uh, Overland Park. I'm here on behalf of Kansas Policy Institute, which is my employer, and also Topeka resident uh, Glenn Swagger. Uh, we're here to recognize five schools in the district that showed academic improvement in the 2017 school year. It's part of a new project that we launched uh, a few months ago called A through F grading for public schools. All we did was take the uh, state assessment scores and translate them into labels that everybody understands, uh, like with our kids' report cards, A, B, C, D, and F. So there were uh, five schools here. We, we, first of all, I should say there were only 119 statewide that showed a letter grade improvement, and five of them were here in the Shawnee Mission District. Those are East Antioch Elementary, Brook Ridge Elementary, Brook Wood Elementary, and I hope I'm saying this right, Ryan Benninghoven Elementary, and North High. Uh, the certificates were actually mailed out to each school back in, I think, April or May, uh, so I don't have them here. Uh, we'll have probably the 2018 results out sometime in January. Uh, the full results are available on our website at kansaspolicy.org. I just wanted to uh, conclude with congratulations to the winners. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for coming forward. That uh, our next presenter today is uh, Thomas Jokel. Welcome. Thank you, uh, Thomas Jokel. I live in uh, Lenexa. Uh, my son goes to West. He's currently the Lieutenant Commander for ROTC at West High School, and my daughter is in eighth grade at Westridge. Uh, topic number one is concerning my son. We're having problems getting students to join ROTC at West. Uh, we're, we feel as though we're not getting support from the school or from the school board in that situation. The Navy has now dropped them because they are now below 100. Um, I've asked before, why can't the ROTC be recognized as the football team or the baseball team with banners in the gym, trophies in the ch showcase, let them do arm um, exhibitions in the gym, show the kids what it is. Um, instead of just walking around the halls in uniform saying, hey, join us, why don't you come check it out? So uh, problem number two, um, which will affect my daughter next year, is the current capacity at Westridge. There are currently 900 students in that building, and the maximum capacity for the gym is eight, and that is already over 100, plus the staff would make it over 200. Once, um, Lenex, um, I'm sorry, once Cottonwood Canyon Creek and Sonoma Hills comes online in Western Lenexa, that could be a, the possibility of another two to 300 students into the system from Western Lenexa. That, in turn, will increase the capacity at Westridge by another 200 students plus faculty. That building needs to be torn down, rebuilt, or expanded currently in order to assume that capacity. Once those students move up, West will have the same problem. I think that needs to be addressed right now because almost every day there's another home going in. Uh, the third problem which affects both of them is Skyward. Um, as the kids refer to it, it's called Skynet because it controls so much of their lives. Um, every morning at 4.15 a.m. on my phone, I receive missing assignments and grades for them. <clears throat> um, 
if the teacher on Thursday night or Friday night fell behind or just got busy or just could not get to entering the grades, all of a sudden their grades go from an A to an F overnight. And with the divorce rate of 50%, I'm, I'm assuming that maybe half of our students are at the other parent's house and they're getting ripped a new one by the other parent. Why are, why are you missing so many assignments when it's not their fault? I think that this system should be changed immediately because that could also impact the student who just says, what's the point? On the weekend, they could commit suicide or on Monday morning show up at school with a gun and say, I'll fix it myself. Thank you. Thank you for coming forward. Yes, uh, Dr. Fulton. No, I'll be, thank you for sharing. I'll be happy to follow up. Great. With that, uh, Devin Wilson. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm Devin Wilson. I'm here tonight representing Shawnee Mission Area Council PTA. And thank you for the opportunity to speak at Open Forum. I'm a Lenexa resident with children in Shawnee Mission Northwest and Trail Ridge Middle Schools. Been active in the PTA for several years now. I work with a board of Shawnee Mission Area Council members representing 44 local PTA units from across the district. I want to take this opportunity to re reintroduce myself and the mission of PTA legislative team uh, given the start of the ne this new school year, the approach of the general election, and the 2019 legislative session. The SMAC PTA legislative team is responsible for tracking legislation and policy that impacts children and their educational opportunities. Our efforts are guided by a member-approved legislative platform that is revised and ratified annually. We seek to inform members in the broader community about issues and policies impacting our schools. We coordinate various opportunities for parent, teacher, and parent patron engagement and education in the political process and provide education on how to effectively advocate for our kids, educators, and our schools. Our efforts include voter registration drives and get out the vote PSAs, preparing PTA legislative updates, timely action alerts, and testimony in Topeka. The SMAC PTA legislative platform has historically shared a great deal of overlap with the district's legislative platform. And I want to touch on some of the current uh, upcoming uh, issues that we anticipate um, coming through Topeka. Uh, PTA uh, strongly opposes arming teachers, as does Shawnee Mission School District. Uh, PTA opposes a constitutional amendment reducing the ability of the Kansas Supreme Court to rule on school finance issues. PTA testified against this in the Kansas legislature last session. Uh, the actual title of the bill was HCR 5029 and the title of the, the legislation was the proposed constitutional amendment to declare the power to appropriate funding for the education is exclusively a legislative power and not subject to judicial review. Uh, that's a very concerning uh, change to our uh, constitution. PTA supports the adequate and equitable funding for Kansas public schools. And we have appreciated the legislature passing a balanced tax policy that has been both revenue politics revenue positive monthly and passing a school funding formula that has met equity in the 2018-2019 school year and has met constitutional adequacy. I got those two turned around. It has met equity currently and 2018-2019 has met adequacy. Thank you for the opportunity to speak here tonight providing some insight into some of our efforts in our PTA advocacy roles. We look forward to further collaboration with the Shawnee Mission School District and the opportunity to support our great public schools. Thank you for what you do. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. With that, uh, Jennifer Bowles. Welcome. Hi. 
Um, my name is Jennifer Bowles, uh, and I live in Lenexa, and I have a kiddo at Sunflower Elementary. Um, I'm here today as a member of Education First Johnny Mission. Um, we're a group of moms dedicated to the election of pro-education candidates in the Shawnee Mission area. Um, I know you can't answer today, but we're hoping to see a timeline soon for the SMSD legislative platform. Um, a study last year found that Kansas schools are extremely efficient uh, with a remarkably good use of resources. And they've had to be, um, you've had to be, without adequate funding for so many years. Um, Kansas has finally turned the page on that story, um, but I hope it goes without saying that a robust legislative platform will go a long way to continuing that forward momentum in, Lena in Topeka. Um, last spring, legislation in the Insurance Committee threatened to, publish, to punish districts like SMSD for refusing to arm their teachers with a presumption of negligence in court. Um, Education First uh, Shawnee Mission Chair Megan Peters and I drove up to Topeka to speak, and we were incredibly proud to see Dr. Atha and uh, Mr. Stratton there to oppose the bill as well. Um, and the area legislators were listening to that. They paid attention. And I think it's a great example of the importance of the district being present in Topeka on issues that are vital to a safe and prosperous district. Um, Education First hopes to see more direct advocacy of that nature, and we're looking forward to a fact-based legislative for platform. Thank you. Thank you. Next, uh, Aaron Gould. Thank you. Um, we've got all the um, My name is Erin Gould, and I'm here this evening representing Game On for Kansas Schools. I live in Roland Park. I have three sons in the Shawnee Mission Schools. I have one seventh grader and two teenagers. Um, I have at Indian Hills and two at East. Um, I'm here today as a membership of the leadership team for Game On for Kansas Schools. And for those of you who haven't met us, Dr. Fulton, maybe um, we are a statewide, parent-led public education advocacy group, and we trace our roots back to families in the Belinder Elementary School. Um, but I'm here today primarily to share a concern that our group is ha has. We are seeing a real uptick in attempts by others in, um, outside our community to undermine the community's trust in public education. And we know that we have seen this before. Opponents of public education use this tactic every election season without fail. And I'm here tonight to encourage you to push back. Please continue to reach out to the Shawnee Mission community and share the truth about our schools and school funding. As public school advocates, we know it is often difficult to understand and follow all that goes in to the funding and improvement of public schools. I'm even kind of a junkie about it and I don't always understand all of it. But both locally and at the state level, it's confusing. And in conversations with Shawnee Mission patrons and Kansans all across the state, we're often asked and even invited to explain school funding topics. And we find that many in our communities still do not fully understand important elements of school funding. For example, that our buildings are funded through locally approved bond projects and that they are not built with state aid, that bond money can't be used for classroom expenses, or how much of our budget is actually used for student support and how the accounting designation of non-classroom expenditures excludes many items that the average parent might consider essential for students, like librarians and speech pathologists and cafeteria workers, bus drivers and more. Um, 
we're concerned that people know, we've been told that they know there's been an improvement in um, school funding by last year's legislature. Thank you. But they don't necessarily understand that though there has been an increase in funding, we have still yet to recover from years of constrained budgets that were caused by the recession and the following fiscal crisis. So we are constantly reminded how many people still don't understand all these realities. And as locally elected members of our community with direct access to data, you are all uniquely qualified to reach out to members across our community, share the accurate information, and keep us all informed. We know that this board works really hard to engage with the community, and we are here really tonight to say thank you. We appreciate your willingness to be transparent and accessible, and we ask that you continue to fight against the misinformation and those that would propagate it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And that concludes the public comment section. Thank you to all who came forward today. We appreciate it. I know everyone is busy and it takes time to carve out to, to come to the meeting. We appreciate you sharing with your thoughts with us because that's very helpful to what we do on behalf of the district. So thank you for being here. With that, we'll move to uh, item F, which is uh, F1 is uh, a presentation by Dr. Fulton. Okay. Before I start, uh, this is the beginning of what is really uh, an effort to make sure that the board is well informed about the work that's going on in the district. You'll hear from me in terms of some of the entry uh, uh, plan activities that I've been involved in and also talk about strategic planning. But right after me, you'll hear from Chief Douglas uh, our first program evaluation on safety. We're going to try to keep these program or these uh, reports to five minutes. And you can ask questions for as long as you choose. Okay. So time me. Make sure I'm in within the five-minute range. Well, I remember when I first uh, was named superintendent, one of the things I heard from the board is they wanted to make sure that when I was onboarding that I was uh, engaged with meeting the community and also uh, making sure that I was also in schools. And I can tell you that for the last seven weeks, now almost eight, I guess, I've been spending a lot of time meeting with all the wonderful community members of not just Shawnee Mission, but Johnson County as well. What a wonderful, wonderful community this is. And there are some very strong themes that came out from, that's come out from those meetings. One is, is that Johnson County and Shawnee Mission uh, School District patrons love their schools. They take great pride in the strength of the public schools in our area. They recognize that schools are key to economic development. And they're also, I found this interesting, they're also very big on long-range planning. Mm -hmm. I heard that particularly from the municipalities. So that's good. So are we. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but most of all, and most importantly, people of Johnson County and Shawnee Mission are kind. They care about kids and they want the best for their community. That's my takeaway so far. Now, I'll continue to meet with a lot of groups, I'll continue to do some themes, and I'll report later on, on uh, as we move along here on more than I'm learning. Uh, Mr. Traber came and talked about uh, A to F schools and recognized some of our schools. I will say one thing, in public education today around the country, there's no lack of transparency on people's opinions about how we're doing. There's lots and lots of independent groups that take data from our results, 
different, whether it's AP exam results or state test results or student responsibility indicators, and they make judgments. I think we should be very proud of the fact that Shawnee Mission has absolutely some of the finest high schools in this country. And that only happens when you have great teaching and learning going on pre-K through 12. So congratulations to our community, to the teachers, to the students for their great accomplishments. As another example, uh, the website Niche uses different kinds of indicators, whereas U.S. News and World Report will use things like graduation rate, AP exam results, uh, international uh, baccalaureate exam results, and so on. Niche uses a combination of community feedback uh, along with other indicators that they can data mine out in the public. And so, again, they recognize this. This is a great place to teach. It's by far one of the finest school districts, not just in Kansas, but in the nation. We already knew that. It's just nice for an independent group to tell us that's so. And of course, we have great teachers. As we go forward in our work here and also with public education in our country, it's absolutely critical that we meet the need of every single child. By the year 2020, it is projected that the majority of 0 to 18-year-olds in this country will be children of color. And by the year 2045, if current projections hold, the majority of, Mer of Americans will be people of color. And yet we know that historically, and there's lots of reasons for this, that children of color and children of poverty don't perform as a group at the same level as Caucasian and Asian peers, and also kids who are fortunate enough to grow up in middle class and uh, beyond households. So we have a moral obligation to make sure that we meet the needs of every child that we serve. And one of the ways that we're going to engage in that conversation is through strategic planning. It's critical in this strategic planning and school improvement process that if you really want to get better, you have to focus on the academic preparation of students. They have to be college and career ready, and they have to be high school course content ready. You be clear about the academic outcomes you want to achieve, and then you hold yourself accountable to those and make sure that every student is ready for life after graduation so that they can be uh, successful. As we go through this work, we're going to be talking about some important themes. One is learning's the constant. Well, how is learning defined? We, we define it and measure it by looking at things like the standards, the priority standards that we teach. We, we look at how kids are doing on formative interim assessment. I would argue, more importantly, children know how they're doing and can tell adults where they're at in their learning as they make progress toward these priority standards within and across grade levels on their formative and interim assessments. They engage in things that lead to credentialing on chosen career pathways. And also, it gets them ready for college readiness assessments Part of that involves putting together personal learning plans, and that can apply to children of any age. So get the constants right. Get, get the learning right. And then you build backwards from that learning. And that's where you begin to evaluate the use of time, structure, and the instructional strategies that you use to customize approaches to the child and school level in ways that get you to the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. There's been lots of conversations, lots of meetings. This is a great community. We're going to get even better. That's the exciting part. And we're going to do it by committing to 
ensuring that every one of our children is a success rate graduate. And with that, I hope I stayed in five minutes, and I'll open it up for questions. Thank you. Questions? Comments, Ask me hard ones. Yes, Reverend Guy. I've heard you give uh, variations of this talk to several different community groups. And you use the example of um, a first grader today will graduate in 2030, is that correct? That's correct. And that we don't even know what the technology might be in 2030. So just in broad terms, how do we educate a child in first grade today um, for a world in which we don't even know what that's going to look like yet? Well, it's important to, when you do your design, when you think about the learning the kids need, you need, to you need to make sure you define those things that will generally stay constant. Let me give you an example. There are certain mathematical understandings that are foundational to later learning. Even if they're going into a field not yet invented, you're still going to use that way of thinking as you go about solving problems in the workplace. That's true of reading, writing, thinking, the complex reasoning that goes with solving problems. And you really begin to focus on those foundational understandings. Now, skills become an important part of that. But you have to go beyond skills to deep conceptual understanding of important ideas that you know are going to be around uh, almost ad infinitum. So, and then you make sure that kids really understand those ideas well. That takes a lot of teamwork. And people have to work together over a long period of time to not only define the outcomes, but also design, as adults, uh, organize ourselves in teams to help kids make that happen for themselves. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Go ahead, Mary. Oh, sorry. Um, thank you for this presentation. Um, can you speak to, uh, uh, um, I'm going to ask a process question because that's just kind of my next, sure. that's what I'm thinking. So can you speak to how um, we as a community might go about defining what these constants are when we think about learning and, and what, what kind of role do we, each of the stakeholders um, have in that Great process. question. Yeah, we're in the, we're, right now we're designing, uh, working on designing a process which we will bring to you before we start where we will have a way of engaging the community probably through a combination of committee structures but also surveys to begin to collect information from the community about what they value uh, about these important outcomes. But then we'll also use the committee structure to kind of take all of that information, narrow it down, and decide where's our focus going to be. I mean, some of it's going to come from research. What does research say works as a predictor of future success? We know, and I've given this example before, that Algebra 2 seems to be as good a predictor of any, as any of college success, if that's true, we need to look at that research and determine the extent to which every child, and I recognize some children are going to have cognitive challenges that, that, that may or may not allow them to master Algebra 2 content, but to the greatest extent possible, make sure that every student has the important understanding that they need in mathematics and language and, of course, other disciplines to be successful. But we're going to have to design a process of inclusion of voices but we also have to have a way to organize all that information coming in so we can make sense of it, develop a plan, and then have that ready to go for next year. So I don't have the specifics yet, but we're, no, gonna, but we're working on that. Thank you. 
That was the perfect segue to my question here because I've had folks and I have told them that, you know, we will be having committees of our stakeholders, of our community members, and they said, well, yeah, well, I don't want to miss out on that. Like, they're afraid that it's all going to be November 1. We've got our strategic plan, and I'm like, it's a very long, thoughtful process. So if you want to speak to the, the time frame, or and I don't want to hold you to a time frame, but um, it's not going to be next week. Well, it will be done in the light of day. No worries. Absolutely. Uh, We'll try to make it almost impossible to miss. Um, but I suspect that later this fall, we will be in a position to begin that process. But we'll need to chunk it out. There is some work that we can do this year. For example, defining those important uh, outcomes for college and career readiness and high school readiness. But there will be additional work that we'll need to continue in the years ahead. And so we're going to have to have a multi-year approach to our planning process. Now, once we get that planning process in place and we get the outcomes defined, then you're into a continuous improvement mode. The most important work actually really occurs at the school level. We need to be clear about where our, our outcome targets are at the district level, what our universals are in terms of learning. But the work, the, the heavy lifting itself occurs school by school. And not just within schools, but across schools, for example, elementaries as they feed into the middle school and the middle school as it feeds into the high school. So we have to connect the work over time. These kinds of processes done well, take a 5, 10, 15, 20-year look out, get some things that are constant that we know are not going to change, and you're patient in working the plan and getting additional pieces of the plan in place as the years go on. So I know everybody wants everything right now. That's not the way that true, sustained school improvement actually works. Because we're not, as I said, we're not chasing these shiny objects. I said that to a group. We're going after learning. And we have to organize ourselves around learning for all kids. You're welcome. So later in the fall. Thanks. Anyone else? Yes, Heather? Ms. Uh, I know um, in previous discussions there are and one of the concerns from the community, and we obviously have a very engaged community as they're all here this evening, was um, advisory committees. And I know that we had talked about that was going to be kind of worked into the strategic planning process so that we could work through that. And I was hoping you could just say something about that to get people up to speed on where we're at with that. Sure. That's the other piece that we're working on. There are some things that are better left to advisory committees, and that's something you can set up and they can do their work. And, provide input. Strategic planning is a little bit different in the sense that we're looking at very big picture issues that involves the entire community and we want to get as much input as we can. It also has some very definable outcomes with respect to uh, the learning we want kids to do and the processes that we're going to use to get kids there. Advisory committees can sometimes play a slightly, serve a slightly different role. Maybe they're topic-based, exploratory, uh, may result in maybe some policy modifications or, uh, you know, change in direction in terms of what you're, whatever you're doing with that particular topic. And we just have to decide what's, what's best served in the strategic planning process and what's best left to an advisory process. And can I add to that? <laughs> of course. Because I want to I clarify and expand and then get your comments on this as well. <clears throat> There's a conversation about cart and horse. 
And so a, uh, sometimes the best initiatives that the district wants to prioritize on are then to be the work carried out by us and the broader community with their support through committees. And so one of the aspects that we're talking about is that um, to develop a most functional and prioritized committee structure would be to go through a strategic planning process in order to glean what are the highest priorities for moving this district forward and then creating additional committees to carry out that work. So as opposed to creating committees now without fully understanding or knowing what we want to accomplish. Right. How do I fit? The other thing that we're also working on is what is the relationship between the strategic plan and what the state is doing with its school improvement efforts? Mm. We, we don't want those two competing, and yet we're, we need to have our strategic plan be the priority work with uh, KISA, the, the, the state work, folding into our strategic plan in ways that are both acceptable to the state and probably really go beyond what the state is asking of school districts. That's not a very specific response, but I think as time goes on here in the next couple of months, we're going to have, uh, be able to get some more specific direction on it, what goes to advisory committees and what goes into strategic planning. Dr. Sinclair. So I'm going to follow up with kind of a hard question or sticky question. Sure. So the community recently engaged in a pretty um, thorough review of whether or not to educate students, where to educate sixth grade students at the elementary school level, at the middle school level. And we had pretty significant input from our stakeholders across, from parents and educators and administrators. So that's, a, that's some very valuable information. How do you see something like that, that kind of work being, is there an opportunity still to, re, to reflect on that? How, can you just there, kind of there speak is an opportunity. Yeah, sorry. There is an opportunity to reflect on that. I think we do need to bring that uh, to conclusion, building on, take the work that's already been done and reconvene that group and let's, let's take stock of where we're at, uh, what have we concluded, if anything, and then decide is this something that needs to fold into the strategic planning process or is this something that we kind of need to tie the knot on and make a set of recommendations that, that may be uh, given to the strategic planning groups or uh, given to administrators. We'll have to, I haven't dug into that work very deeply, so I still have some learning to do myself. But that's, that's, that is some work that we need to conclude. It was, I, yeah, it just feels like it was a valuable way to engage right. the community, and I don't want to lose that kind of commitment and input. Um, I think that was um, very valuable. Well, and I, as I have shared with some group and groups, and I actually was asked this question when I interviewed mm -hmm. uh, with the public, I said, you know, it all depends on what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So are we trying to improve academics? Are we dealing with social-emotional aspects of the learning process? Um, do we have space at our middle schools to do that? Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things that we need to, to clarify. Thank you. Mrs. Mack? Just real briefly, I really appreciate the fact that you're partnering with so many of our municipalities who have just gone through the strategic planning process. And I'm reminded of Overland Park, especially when they had their word cloud that came out, schools was front and center. So I'm thankful that you're going to be able to look through those strategic plans, look at that, those demographics, that data as we move forward. And we will be looking at our county and municipal resources. Mm -hmm. To, to, to think about what, what's available locally to help us with this process. I, I want to say I'm very impressed 
at the strategic planning that's gone on in Johnson County by the communities. I mean, things have happened, good things have happened over time for a reason. And much of that goes back to the visioning processes and strategic planning that those communities have done over time. And by the way, and we will connect to them. Great. <laughs> so we've already had those conversations with them, so we're very excited about that. Without asking you to uh, go into any further and, and supersede what you will be presenting at the annual breakfast that takes place on October 11th, um, is this one of the subjects that you'll be talking about at that? It is. Okay. And are tickets still available for that uh, breakfast? Uh, <laughs> the I think somebody in the audience yeah. might know. <laughs> yes. Anyone else? Thank you very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, our next item is F2, and it's a safety program evaluation. And uh, Dr. Atha is here to tee it up. Welcome. President Stratton, uh, members of the Board of Education, Dr. Fulton, thank you for the opportunity to visit a little bit briefly with you this evening. Um, I want to in introduce to you someone that you all know, but some of you out here may or may not know Chief John Douglas. Chief uh, served in the, uh, as uh, Chief of Police in the Overland Park uh, Police Department for a number of years. But one of the things that I learned about John over, uh, over the last three years that, that I've worked with him is that he really worked his way up through the department, from patrolman all the way up to and earning the position of chief of police. He has dedicated his professional life to law enforcement and public safety. We are very lucky to have him as our Executive Director of Emergency Management. This evening, he will provide you an overview of our safety program to include an executive summary, uh, context goals, evaluation process, some conclusions, as well as some recommendations. And I know he'll be excited to answer any <laughs> questions you may have. Thank you. Chief Doug. I'll be paying that introduction off for the next several years. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, definitely, we are going to talk about the program evaluation for safety and security. And I would point out that it all starts with the um, SMART goals that we've had for the last several years. We have simply not abandoned the SMART goals, thrown them away, and started over. We are actually evaluating those SMART goals, what kind of accomplishments we have made, and what we need to do moving forward. <laughs> But one thing I think is extremely important is understanding we have refocused those SMART goals and even into this presentation. Dr. Fulton has made it perfectly clear to our staff, at least certainly to me, that we have one goal and that's to make our students college and career ready. So how does public safety or how does safety fit into that? And our, con our contribution is to keep our environment safe for education. So, one of the most important things to that when you read the report was you saw that we do the physical things. Keeping the building secure is probably one of the most uh, significant things that we do. It's my pleasure to report to you that you have, as a result of the, of the bond issue and some hard work from other individuals, one of the most sophisticated security systems that monitors and protects the school children of anywhere in the United States. And you're going to hear a whole lot more about that in the coming weeks as we roll out our, our training. But I think when you see firsthand 
the significance and the sophistication of his training, you will see what a jewel we have and the abilities of the technology that we currently have. Another major point that we need to cover is a critical incident planning. When I came here, one of the very first things I was charged with doing was creating an emergency operations plan. We had kind of a plan, but it was produced by each school without any correlation to any other school. Some were okay, some were not very okay, but we had no district-wide plan. We now have a very comprehensive, very extensive, all perils covered, NIMS qualified plan. Um, you're going to see that firsthand again shortly as we roll that out. It's being digitized or re-digitized and in a format that you'll be able to use and take a look at. It is not late night reading. It's a reference material of almost 2,000 pages worth of information. But it gets us from where we need to be or gets us to where we need to be uh, in a concise manner should something happen. One of the next most important things is certainly creating a culture of safety. And we've already started doing that. Most of you know that we train our staff. We have a very extensive and I think robust training program rolling out this semester that will give our staff a first-hand knowledge on how to deal with critical incidents. Uh, but it's broader than that. And it's interesting Mr. Wilson was here tonight because he gave me an idea the last time we spoke and it talked about, uh, about engaging the parents in locking their gun cabinets and securing their weapons. Well, if you think about it, our homes are our first line of defense towards school incidents. And by working on getting safety devices for our parents, by teaching them the importance of keeping those things safe and secure, by working with them, in addition to the very good work that they have done in the area of reporting threats and giving us information, we can make the perimeter of the school building extend, can clear out to their houses. And that's a major goal of what we're trying to accomplish and move forward with. One of the other things is comprehensive training for our officers. You know, we spend way, way, way too much time talking about the critical incident and the active shooter. You would think from the news reports that that's the only peril that ever, that ever approaches a school. It's significant. But the chances of dying in a school shooting are one in one million. Less than many diseases. But there's so many other things that are, that are perils to our children, outside of fires, outside of tornadoes, outside of other kinds of things. There are instances where every single individual runs into perils within the school system. They may come with emotional and, uh, or mental disturbances. They may come with, with concerns about poverty and other kinds of things. Take a good look at the list of comprehensive training our officers received, everything from, from critical incident training, which is not about guns and bullets, but about mental health and mental issues, to dealing with children with autism, to dealing with, with other kinds of things. They have tremendous training in addition to the law enforcement training that goes along with it. And I think you'll find that this is something we have to continue and have to continue moving forward. This is an area that we're developing, and that's an ongoing threat analysis. One of the things that we've discovered when we've taken a good hard look, as we do with every shooting incident across the country, is that there's a concern that we have identified threats early, but either don't know what to do with them or stop when we think they've been remediated. We have to establish a capability which works with in-house professionals, not only 
to, to ferret out and deal with the threat when it's immediate, but to track that threat and the potential for that perpetrator as they move forward afterwards. We have to stay on top of those individuals so we don't have a Florida situation where they thought the situation was resolved when he left school. Contrary, he came back to school going through an per open perimeter, starting to get a message and attack the school from the inside. Finally, this is one that I think we don't give enough attention to, and that's creating a culture of care. We talk again about, about specific incidents. We talk about particular things that happen uh, to the school. But every single child who finds himself in a crisis has their own incident. Whether they're being bullied at school, whether they're uh, being harassed at school, whether they feel lonely at school or left out, whether they can't succeed in a million other ways, are all of the things that we see when we study informed trauma care, uh, trauma-informed care. Um, we've got to do a really good job of finding a way to reach these children long before any of them become threats to the school, and most of them never will, but to deal with their crisis the same way we would with a, with a crisis across. So develop a culture of care. What we have done is work on a test program with MOXA for Green Dot, which we have in two of our uh, um, middle schools right now, and we're going to evaluate this year that particular program and see just how far it has gone and how far it's progressed. We've also attended, believe it or not, the Mean Girls Conference, uh, which deals with the whole morphology of why girls treat each other so terribly. Um, having a, a board mostly of women, I suspect you have stories of your own that you could tell. But these are the kinds of things that we have been working on and need to continue working on. Now there's many, many other things that we've done and in the, prog in the, in the analysis you've seen the opportunity to take those things we've worked on and to reevaluate again next year, which is our intent. I know it's been brief, but we wanted to offer you the opportunity to ask your questions. What can I answer for you? Thank you. Questions from the board members? Go ahead. So is, is there communication going out to parents about this information from you, um, like with regarding like the securing guns safely, that sort of thing, or is that just the recap from today that we'd send out from the board? <clears throat> I think we're go what we're going to do is work through the schools. I think it's best to come through the school community. So before we send it to the parents, we need to work with the schools. And we're trying to, what we're trying to do is get a hold of free gun locks mm -hmm. so that we can actually provide them to the schools in their school fairs and other things and, and send it out accordingly. Oh, that'd be great. Good news. Um, you were talking about your 2,000-page document that is the the emergency operation plan for the district here. But drilling that down to the teacher in the classroom, can you tell me what's available to them? What we did, because every teacher in the classroom does not need the full and complete volume of all the emergency operations plan. I mean, that covers pandemics, it covers every kind of thing. There's about 20 uh, specific things which are available in, in flip chart form. So if you it's like a checklist. If you have an attempted kidnapping, 
you can go in there and see what you have to do. If you have a sexual assault on campus, you can see what that is. If you have a variety of other critical things, it will give them step by step on what to do until administrators and the police respond. And that's uh, has been and will and will be is updated right now. Uh, we'll be back on their iPads and computers. So it is on their iPads, not just a physical. The chart. old form is, but there's several things that we're changing and, and adding to it. So IT's been working on getting that modernized and back out again. Great. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um, uh, over the weekend, um, during the legislative committee session Saturday, um, a couple of the school board members were talking about a piece of legislation that came out of last year's legislative session that fire marshals added on so that there's a monthly requirement. So typically there's been a monthly requirement to do some kind of emergency drill, whether it's a fire drill or a tornado drill, but four additional drills were tacked on to this piece of legislation. And so this year we are required to do 13 drills. Is that the case? The fire marshal's office has traditionally maintained the log on drills because they started off with fire drills uh, after the 1950s. Then tornado drills were added to that. And then this year they have also added what they call critical incident. But ironically, they've made nine of those to be critical incident and split the others, five and, I think five and four, between tornado and um, uh, fire. They've also said that we can have a delay or we can also on the fire drills uh, not have to announce those in advance. By law, we were required to announce we were going to have a fire drill and it was a drill. Um, we weren't able to do that, but now we can so that the staff can understand this is a drill and um, allow for it and not, it's to take care of the things that happen in Parkland. Okay, thank you. I'd like to add to that too, you know, it's been, we haven't had a, a anyone die in a school fire since the 1950s. Sadly, the same can't be same, can't be said for active shooters. And so the work that uh, is being, has already been done to secure student safety through the, through the monitoring system that Shawnee Mission has is frankly just spectacular. Um, they've done a lot of work, important work already, but one of the things that we'll do uh, this year is do active shooter training with teachers. Uh, it will be kind of a soft entry, but, uh, but an entry nonetheless to train people on what to do should an event occur. It's not something that anyone ever wants to think about, but, school, but wisely, schools around the country are, are engaging their staff in doing a, a, a lot of training, actually, on what to do should you have an event where there's an active uh, shooter. So we'll make sure that you have those materials as we, uh, as we begin to unroll, as we roll that out to staff. Will we be training as a board? Uh, you are certainly going to be invited to the training. And it'll be up to you. And if you're not able to attend the training, we'll make the training materials available to you. Great. So I, I have two things. One, just to clarify, that's just with the teachers. It's not with the students. That is correct. Okay. Thank you. And then um, there have been a lot of questions about the MVP background check screening. And I was wondering if you could kind of maybe go over some of the details with that so that people could understand the why behind that and what process is being put in place to, and what needs are being addressed with that? 
Well, first of all, we call it a background check. I think that's something that's been called long before I came, but having been familiar with what a real background check is, I'd like to inform you that this is nothing more than a records check for criminal history. Now, that is important because the things that we look for in the records check for criminal history are things which could indicate a danger or a threat to children. Um, I know you, that the public has not received a memo that I stated that talked about the kinds of things that are in there. But basically speaking, you start with felony violations. And while we're not going to be judgmental about a, personal, a person's conduct, we have to draw some inferences on how to protect children and, and go that direction. So, you know, the question came up about financial crimes. Well, financial crimes that don't impact children that occurred a long time ago, they may be character issues, but they're not impactful on children. Certain misdemeanors like domestic violence or child abuse or stalking or those kinds of things, those are indicative of problems which, while I can't guarantee would repeat, uh, I'm not willing to sacrifice any child on, the, on that set of circumstances, so that's one of the things. Narcotics are particularly difficult because people change over time. Um, things like those violations, any kind of felony where there's a, a possibility that it's ineffectual to the children or it is not likely to affect them, I personally review and make an individual decision based on gathering more information. So all this is about is vetting who is in close proximity to your children. And we spend so much time looking at the sexual offenders uh, in our neighborhood, there are many other hazards out there besides sexual offenders. And the things that go along with that, um, you know, a variety of kinds of things. If we have road rate in incidents or some of the other things that I mentioned about crimes of violence, well, they may have just snapped. But I don't want them to snap in the classroom when something frustrates them or goes the wrong way. I don't want them to react badly if they're having a bad day. And it's one thing if they react that way to adults, it's solely a wholly different thing if it reacts that way to children. So we're looking for a way to measure and vet. Um, I don't want to sound dramatic, but in today's environment when we look at what happened in Pennsylvania, we've got to be extremely careful who, who deals with our children. Could could you add clarity to that? Thank you for that explanation. Could you provide clarity to, um, will the district be providing more information about who needs the background check and who doesn't, and what steps are being taken to help facilitate those lines so people aren't waiting for two or three hours? Because yes. incredible volunteers, and we don't want to lose people to the no. um, to that process. Uh, we have shared additional information with. Uh, principals and others at the school level in terms of who does require to be trained and who does not. Information went out last week and again today. Okay, thank you. In As, regards to the lines? Uh, yes. Uh, what's happened is this. Some schools were really good at vetting their volunteers, some schools not so good, and now that, that we're, everybody's having to meet the same standard, created a huge backlog, six and seven hundred people. We have put on hold Anyone who currently has had the vetting process one time, we're going to put that on hold until we can uh, we get a second fingerprint machine in here, which will give us the opportunity to move people through much faster, and we will vet them over time to allow us to catch up. We talked about that this afternoon. We are moving in that direction so we can accomplish both goals, which is to vet individuals who are with the kids, 
but over enough period of time, but it's not a huge inconvenience with two and three hour lines. So those who are in the renewal phase, maybe wait until, until, until there's a second machine. We're looking at January before we parcel it out, and then we'll do it by appointment so people can sign up and we can sparse them okay. out. Thank you. Yeah, I, I actually was fingerprinted for MVP and actually found out when there was a lull. I was able to come at a time where there weren't as many people. But I, but I wanted to focus on the culture of care. Um, you mentioned narcotics. We have an opioid crisis. We have um, the, the Johnson County superintendents are talking about suicide. You talk about um, student on student violence and intimidation. Could you speak to, um, we just changed the bullying app. Could you talk about that for a moment, please? Ironically, we were one of the first to have a bullying app, and it really wasn't something we bought. It was something we, I worked with uh, Brett Winsiger in, in my office to create using the Google Forms. Um, Brett was a mathematical genius and really made it work really well, and when he walked out the door, most of it went with him. Uh, so consequently, we had a choice of either trying to resurrect something that we had ponied together or do as we did and find a commercial vendor who was now readily available. We have one and it appears to be a very good product that we're able to use the analytics from. In the past we've gotten um, a brief uh, summary of the types of, of information that comes from bullying app. Would you be willing to share that with us at some point in time during the year, please? Absolutely. Thank uh, you. At your direction. Mrs. <laughs> yes, Zila. Um, and I know you've touched on this with your presentation tonight, but I think it bears repeating. Um, having been here for a number of years before you arrived and now seeing all the differences that has happened in the district, I would say our police force, which we've had for many, many years in Shawnee Mission, has gone from day and night. It, the difference is, is incredible about the gentlemen that we have um, and ladies um, in our district as our police force. Do you want to just touch on a few key things that these people do? I can. Um, I think it starts with the individuals that we hired and what we look for when we hire them. Um, I can't speak to the past and I won't be critical of anyone who came before, but the replacements that we have put in there, I look for a specific and Mark and I work on it together, a specific type of individual. We're looking for someone who's highly competent, who's done the right things, who's managed a career, preferably somebody towards the end of that career or somebody who is retired. Uh, it allows us to be able to hire very quality individuals, especially if they're retired because of their retirement income. The salary demands are not as great in a market which right now is extremely difficult to get police officers in. So this gives us a little leg up and allows us to function uh, the best we can. But I'm looking for people who are doing it because they want to and they want to give back. These are not officers who are looking for a way to become detectives or the SWAT team or many other things. They've already done all that stuff. These are the ones who want to take care of the kids. And unsolicited, it came back to me, their unofficial motto. They see themselves as the sheepdogs because it's their job to take care of the lambs. Other questions? Later in our agenda, we're going to be approving additional uh, contracts and agreements with various cities for uh, SROs. Would you like to give an update on the continued cooperation and interaction with the cities? We have such a unique environment that we have so many municipalities we interact with that we're grateful that you have that municipal background to be able to help us guide that. Well, ironically, earlier this summer when it came to SROs, it was the best of times and the worst of times. It started off with the sheriff's office asking for value-to-value -value return on investment for each officer. So essentially, they were asking us for, to pay 
all of the costs of the SRO, which has never been, and, and I know because I was on the other side of a fence in the negotiation of that. And we chose at that point in time not to f go forward. We parted friends, everybody's fine, but we don't have an officer from the county at Horizons. We're providing that from our own police department. Mm -hmm. Now having said that, all of the other agencies were quick to jump in with a three-year contract with no additional cost, which means that they are substantially helping us uh, put those officers in those buildings. So now we have not only two, but we have, by some creative footwork we've done with the what used to be CSOs, three armed officers in each of the high schools and one in each of the middle schools. And that allows us, although the three are not all out and walking around, one is sat at the front door, you're familiar with them as you come in. So they've been extremely helpful. I can't thank the cities enough because without their input and their ability to provide us that funding, it would be a very, very difficult prep, uh, proposition in this environment, current budget environment, to pay the kind of money it would take to, to put officers in their replacement. Anyone else? Douglas, thank you very much for the update. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. With that, we'll move on to item G, and this is um, an approval of a consent agenda. This is the consent agenda listed as H. I will seek a motion to approve the consent agenda labeled H. So moved. Thank Second. you, Mrs. Mack. Thank you, Mrs. Eva. Any additional questions? All those in favor of consent agenda H, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That's 7-0. And we make our way down to item I, which is the consent agenda for item J, specifically human resources. Mr. Stratton, I'm yes, recusing Mack. myself from this vote. All right, thank you. Anyone else? With that, I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Second. Okay. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you for the second, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor of approval of consent agenda item J, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. Nay. That passes. 5-1. Thank you. And we'll have Mrs. Mack come back. Thank you. And we are on to M. Action item M, which is administrative services. And this is the approval of the SRO contract with the various cities of Prairie Village, Shawnee, and Lenexa. Dr. Fulton, any comments on that before we seek approval? Uh, yes. Let's see. Interact. Yeah. All right. That was very timely. We already had an update from Chief Douglas. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you. Mrs. Zila? Second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Any additional discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. And we move on to action item N, which is the uh, human resources item. And this is the approval of the agreement between the Board of Education and the Shawnee Mission District and NEA Shawnee Mission. Mr. Stratton. Yes. I'm going to be recusing myself from this vote. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. And uh, who would like to speak to that? Dr. Southwick? I get this frog out of my throat. I'll okay. be glad to speak to that. Um, yes, you have before you tonight the approval of the agreement uh, between the board and um, NEA Shawnee Mission. And before I get started, I'd like to thank the members of Shawnee Mission NEA's team. Um, we have a few here tonight. Jill is here, and Karen is here, and Linda, of course, as the president, is here as well. Um, I'm happy to report that I received a phone call uh, Friday night that um, the membership had ratified 
the tentative agreement that was um, signed on August the 9th. So it's here tonight for approval. I do want to go through a, a little bit of the process and some of the things that were a part of this agreement. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, we exchanged letters the last day in March. Um, Lynn and I normally do that, and we sit down, and we either have a, uh, a breakfast or a lunch and had conversation. Uh, we very quickly then um, agreed because of uh, where we were with legislature um, and the court opinion around Gannon that we would wait and try to see um, later in our negotiation season. So our first meeting was not until June when we began to meet and have conversation. Um, early on, there were some um, tentative agreements that we arrived on mutually, and I'm going to go through those very quickly. First of all, our fall and spring conference day, we have blackout dates that teachers, um, unless it's a dire emergency, we ask that they not take personal leave days. And we, the administration asked that the fall and spring conference day be added to that list, and the teachers agreed to that. In addition to that, we had two years ago talked about opportunities built into our calendar for self-directed professional development by our staff. So there are days throughout the year where they can, on their own, meet with their colleagues or um, be involved in professional de development outside the district that they believe will identify and, and that they identify will help them in their job. When we put that in place, we used this year's negotiation as we would uh, review that, place that either um, into the document or we would revert back to previous language. And we were able to um, very quickly come to an agreement that that was a valuable piece of what we wanted to do for our staff. Um, and so we kept that in. We will continue with self-directed professional development. Another issue was around our leave policy and temporary leave policy that's accumulated. And we were in agreement um, with the teaching staff that uh, particularly around absence for maternity leave or paternity leave. And that our policy was very limiting and was really much more narrow maybe than what um, federal guidelines will allow. So the end result of that is now we have adjusted the policy, um, or not the policy, I'm sorry, the, um, in our documentation <clears throat> that now in the past where one parent had to declare if they would take 12 weeks, that now we have the opportunity for both parents to declare that they would like to take 12 weeks to be with that child, to make that bond, um, and to bring them through the first um, uh, months of their life. Uh, we think that was fair. Um, we, we didn't think that the other policy really served children and served families. So we very quickly uh, came to that agreement. In addition to that, we said, based upon superintendent's approval, if there was a need to take an intermediate, uh, intermittent leave, that that could be approved. So we think that this is in the uh, best interest. This leave does uh, have to take place in the, in the first year um, of the child's life, but that could be the first 12 weeks and the last 12 weeks. It could be six weeks and six weeks, and then at the end be six weeks and six weeks. Or it could be 24 weeks. That will leave that up to uh, the employee. 
So we did uh, feel uh, very comfortable as we as we signed those agreements. Um, we also allowed that to happen for adoptions. Um, when um, a family would decide to adopt a child and bring them in, that they would have that, that same right. Um, we waited for a while until we realized um, what the legislature was going to do and what the court was going to do. And um, then we began to sit down and we talked about salary. As you know, there were several budget presentations that were made over the spring, looking at dollars that the district would receive. Um, even with the decisions around Gannon where we may receive some additional monies, we knew what money we would have for this year. Um, so after our conversation, it was agreed upon that the salary schedule would stay the same for our teachers um, and that we would allow teachers that receive step and column movements, step for additional years and column movement for additional education, that we would pay that on the existing salary schedule. Um, I'll remind you that our salary schedule, a step, uh, varies across our, our schedule, but it's a range of 2.27 to 2.66. That's the range of raises that people, if they receive a step, they would get, get this year. Uh, and again, no addition to the base. Um, in addition to that, any employee that would be frozen uh, because they would be at the top of the schedule or find themselves in one of uh, the areas of the different columns where there wasn't an opportunity for a step, it was agreed that those people would receive um, a 1% increase on their existing salary for one year, um, and that would be a stipend, so it, it wouldn't be reoccurring. And we agreed that that would be paid out over a 12-month period of time. And um, we don't have to talk this year about retroactive because our plan would be to try to um, work very closely with Ross and Dr. Atha and Sherry to make sure that our employees um, in this group get paid in September the amounts that they should receive. So we're going to have to pedal really fast to do that, but um, we're, uh, we're going to try to make that happen. The last thing we came to an agreement about had to do um, with the NEA president, and we've agreed that um, we will allow for um, the president, uh, it was in there to have up to a six-year leave, but in addition to that, be able to um, spend half-time as the uh, president of the NEA, and then half-time they would work for the district on assignment. And that was done in an effort to make sure that that president has an opportunity to maintain um, their capers and not be forced with reducing the amount of money that might, they might go to graduation just because they were selected to serve. So um, those are the highlights. And uh, again, I want to thank the um, not only um, the NEA committee, but our committee as well as we work through the process and the board as you uh, made considerations um, to help us with um, the offers that we could make. Um, I do believe it was very cordial, and um, we'll ask for you to approve that tonight. Thank you, Dr. Southwick. Any questions? Uh, I guess I'll seek a motion first, and then we'll discuss. Motion to approve. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Any additional questions or discussion on the item, which is N1, approval of the, uh, the agreement? 
Being none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 6-0. And I ask that you bring back Mrs. Mack. Okay. <clears throat> can I make one comment Sure first? you can. I just want, um, I want the board to know um, and the, the patrons in the community that um, even though we meet one time a year in this negotiation period, we actually have dialogue all year long. And there's many things that when we have problems that come up, we can work to resolve those problems without having to go back to a negotiation season to try to solve them. And we appreciate um, that relationship that we have, and, and I believe that NEA does too, but we thank you for that. Thank you. And we'll move on to uh, action item N2, and that's the approval of language changes for the uh, school psychologist personnel policies. Who'd like to speak to that? Dr. Selper. Back up again. All right. Um, so Dr. Uh, Sig um, works with the Sykes with Dr. Ziegler and Jackie Chapman, and I apologize that I don't know the names of the team members from their group. Um, the Sykes normally wait and to see what happens with the teachers group, and they basically ask for um, the same thing that we gave the teachers. So we made the adjustments, agreed to make the adjustments around the leave and the professional, develop, <clears throat> professional development, um, very consistent and similar to what we did for teachers. In addition to that, any of our uh, psychs that have an opportunity to move based upon um, an additional year or an educational uh, attainment, that we would also pay those. And um, if, like with our teachers, if they have a psych that would be frozen, then they would receive a one-time stipend of 1%. And um, that way, everybody um, across the entire unit has an opportunity, like the teachers, to receive additional compensation. Thank you. I'll seek a motion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. Discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. It passes 7-0. Thank you. We move on to uh, item three, the salary schedule for parents as teachers, <coughs> parent educators. So Dr. Sigal also works um, in the negotiation with the parents as teachers. Um, they're a very small group. They're representative of nine members, and we have an FTE of, I think, 6.25 or 6.5. So they are a small group. Um, there's a possibility for that group to work in that job with a proper training with a degree, and then there's also an opportunity to work with a degree. So there are two schedules. In the past, um, the schedule had six steps, and I think um, every member but one was frozen on the top step. Um, and the ranges for the salaries were from $20.25 an hour to $23.6 for the non-degree and 2128 to 2635 if you have a degree. But our people were, were frozen. So um, unlike um, what we might have done for the other two groups, we felt like that uh, we wanted to provide additional opportunities for them to advance. So they did come to an agreement on a 10-step ten, a schedule. And the ranges now go from uh, non-degree from 2022 to 2710. That's about a $4 an hour raise at the top that people can look forward to. And um, on the degreed, it went from 21, 28, 
to 28.52, which is about a $3.17 raise that they can look forward to. So there were no additions, uh, additional language to um, the agreement other than the salary schedule. Thank you. I'll seek a motion on N3. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. Second. I heard Dr. Sinclair second, I'll second on that. Uh, discussion on item N3. Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Thank you for that. So I have one thing that I forgot yes. to talk about. I wanted to talk about uh, the pooling dollars that we have. Um, as we look for the schedule for our teachers, um, if we looked at what we paid in the previous year to what we uh, allowed for raises this year, overall for the entire pool, not reflective of individuals, it was a 2.33% raise. Um, our psychs, um, using the same uh, concept, it was a 2.23% raise. I can't really apply that to our PAT. Nobody was frozen and we gave some uh, dollar raises um, and the total, but I can tell you that the total cost of that was $7,000. Um, so that percentage might be a little bit higher, but the end was much smaller and what we were trying to do to, to get them caught up. So um, again, um, making sure that the board understands there were individual raises that people received, um, but the overall pooling amount that was put in was a 2.33, a 2.23, and, and an additional $7,000. So. All right. Thank you for that update. And we move on to N4. I'll turn to Dr. Fulton. Okay. The uh, salary range for administrators in this coming year will not change. It's the same as last year. Administrators will receive a 1% raise from last year's salary, except those administrators at the top of the range of cabinet members. Uh, those administrators, again, those at the top of the range were a member of the cabinet will receive a 1% one-time stipend. We do have four administrators below the cabinet level whose pay was adjusted up or down, separate from the 1% to ensure compensation aligns with job responsibilities. While 1% added to the administrative pool equals $136,400, the pay adjustments for administrators uh, resulted in an actual expenditure of $58,918 or 0.43%. Thank you for clarifying the motion that we're going to entertain here. And uh, with that, we have item N4. Seek a motion to approve. I would move approval of N4. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Uh, discussion on item N4. Yes, Mrs. Owsley. So I just wanted to point out um, that this is the first time we've had the opportunity to vote on salaries since we sat on the board. And um, that this is structurally this similar to what the agreement with the educators were was. So in that the people at the top were, are receiving a stipend and they're not receiving an increase to the salary in their base. Um, I just wanted that to be clear before we move forward on the vote. That, that's exactly right, and, and any uh, administrators at the cabinet level that are coming in new uh, are coming in at the, they, they don't, that doesn't apply to them. It's whatever they sign the contract for is what they're going to get. Additional questions about the motion? Um, and the, yes, Mrs. Dr. Sinclair. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, and 
just trying to think through, you had indicated that there was a, a total of 136,000 in the 1% um, stipend or base, but that it, it turned out to be more like 58,900 or something. That was in part due to some restructuring, some realignment. Can you elaborate? Some restructuring, some, some, costs, some cost savings. We have uh, some positions that we're watching that... Uh, we may or may not fill, so it's it was it was really prudence, given the fact that you know teachers are working hard, everybody's working hard. We're certainly cognizant that you know we need to be consistent uh, with ourselves in terms of what uh, we receive and what other staff receive as well. Thank you. And to elaborate on that question, that there was a number shared with us that so the net dollar increase to afford these uh, recognition here. What was that number? And I'll ask Dr. Atha if he has that number with us. The, the net net number on the very bottom of that sheet. So the, the net cost for what we're getting ready to consider. For Russ, too. Very, very bottom. 74? The remaining was $77,485, $58,900. Of that. All right. Thank you. Additional questions? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That's seven zero. Thank you for that. Move on to uh, the next section, which is uh, action items under O. This is business services. Number one, the approval contracts. Bolton, want to speak to that? Or uh, do we have anyone else here to speak to that? No. I don't okay. think we have any commentary unless the board has questions. All right. I'll seek a motion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Second. Thank you, Reverend Guy. All those in, uh, any discussion? All those in favor of item uh, 01, please say aye. 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 Opposed? 7-0. Thank you. Number two, the approval of the three-year premium subscription. Anyone to speak to that? Make a motion. So moved. Thank you. Second. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Zila. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That's 7-0. With that, we move on to action item P, which is the, under the superintendent, and this is the approval of the revised Blue Cross Blue Shield plan. Speak to that, or anybody else here that wants to speak to that? Um, this is a reminder, this is, this is approving the use of uh, Blue Cross, the Blue Cross plan as our, um, as a person that provides the, uh, the services for us. Kenny, do you wanna, Dr. Southwick, do you wanna add to that? <clears throat> Yes, well, very quickly, um, we made a decision in November of last year in a benefits committee meeting that we would go to RFP this year on our medical plan. We could not find any time in history when uh, Shawnee Mission had done that, at least in recent hit history, and we've been with Blue Cross Blue Shield forever. Uh, but nonetheless, we went to um, RFP, um, working with our, our broker, um, I, want to, I want to mention, I think we have some tonight, here tonight, our um, committee members. Linda Seek, of course, represents NEA. Kevin Scarrow was, was a part of our committee. Karen Myers, Becky Tate, Ryan Fleury, Felicia Nedelecki, uh, Susan Klaber, and um, Tammy Reddick. And those are the voting members that represent all the employee groups, stakeholders group, that are eligible for your insurance. So we went through the process. 
Um, we had uh, Blue Cross Shield, Blue Shield, Humana, United Healthcare, Aetna, and Cigna um, that responded to our RFP. We spent uh, one solid afternoon looking at criteria around cost, benefit, network provider, employee wellness initiatives, administration of plan, support of on-site clinic, a funding mechanism and affordability of dependent coverage. And um, on 4-24-18, the committee voted unanimously to stay with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, the new plan that we have um, actually um, has a zero overall increase to the cost of the plan, so the board doesn't have to pick up additional costs this year. Part of what we looked at was opening up additional tiers which uh, and opening up an additional plan. First of all, our HMO plan was not a part of the hyper network. We were able to negotiate that this year, so those people on that plan will receive an 11% decrease in what they would pay. Uh, they were paying around $87, and I think they're going to pay $17 or $18 a month um, this year. We switched from three-tier rates to four-tier uh, to help save in, uh, the decrease in cost in, in serving a child or children only. Um, and we also allowed on our HSA that we can take that full amount that the board pays and can apply it to the family plan for the HSA, which drives down the over cost, overall monthly cost that a, a family has to um, put out each month to have their, their family covered. I know that there's been concern over the last several years, at least since I've been here, about one, maintaining our costs, uh, trying to maintain benefits, but at the same time make it a, a better situation for families. Are we there 100% yet? No, I'm not going to say we are, but I do believe that the committee um, reviewed this plan very thoroughly, and we're uh, continuing to provide uh, a uh, very nice benefit for our employees, and we're trying to make it as affordable as we possibly can. This renewal, as a reminder, would go into effect on January 1, 2019, by all of our um, by all of our employees. And one of the reasons that, uh, and you received a presentation in May, we're back tonight asking you to approve the plan because we will, in about a two and a half week period of time, start to enroll people and the benefits that they'll select this year and the different tiers they'll select. So it's pretty important that we make sure we have benefits for our employees. And I'll be glad to answer any question you might have. Great, thank you. I'll seek a motion and then we'll discuss any questions. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Any discussion? Yes, Mrs. Mack. Um, Dr. Southwick, I want to thank you and the Benefits Committee for all the, the work that you've done. You've done a terrific job. Um, but you know I share that concern with you, as I know other members of the board. I think the public has the perception that we provide um, our employees with family health care, and we don't, <laughs> quite frankly, and it's very expensive. Um, and uh, as we go forward, I know um, uh, that we will continue to look at making it affordable for our families to have family health insurance coverage. Um, it, it, it would be interesting to see what a, what a uh, larger collective effort would look like. Um, I, please do not hear that I am advocating for a statewide plan. You did not hear me say that. <laughs> 
But when you look at local efforts, I didn't say it. Um, but when you look at local efforts, it would be interesting to see a collective effort um, through maybe the Johnson County districts, et cetera, to see some progress in this area. Um, so I, I appreciate you um, noting that concern. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. All those opposed, nay. Nay. That passes 6-1. Thank you. All right. And with that, we'll move on to item R, which is the board finance report. Any board members have any questions about the finance report? As Dr. Atha gets ready to step up and answer any questions, looks like. <laughs> Being none, uh, we don't have to take action on that, actually. And then we'll move on to board comments, which is S1. Board members' comments. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. I'm going to uh, pass out some folders. Um, Dr. Fulton, you already have one. This is Caring for Kids, an organization that has been with the Shawnee Mission School District for four years. Um, I learned about Caring for Kids several years ago, and it's basically a group that engages um, the community, businesses, churches, and civic groups, and it's a volunteer framework. Um, they walk into our schools, most of our schools, and they say, how can we help? Um, I just wanted to highlight, if you all look, um, there's a couple of sheets in here that I think are quite interesting. Um, right now, Caring for Kids is in 24 of our schools. Over 100 community partners are engaged. In the past four years, this group of volunteers have done 633 projects in our schools. That's amazing to me. Um, they continue to serve our communities. Um, I know there are many principals who would sing their praises, how much they help, and all they do is they walk in and they say, how can we help you? They do things from um, remodeling uh, staff lounges to uh, working landscape uh, days, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to share this with the board so that you have this information in front of you. And their kickoff is coming up um, Terry, you may have to help me. I think it's September 13th. Is that correct? September 5th. They'll have their kickoff. But I wanted to um, highlight this organization that has been so beneficial in our community. And um, wanted, I know that several board members are already planning on being at the kickoff. But I just wanted to share this and, and compliment them again and thank them profusely for what they do for our community. Great. Thank you. Okay. And the board members with comments tonight. Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Um, so I just wanted to thank all of the community members that came tonight um, to provide support to the district, um, both from the local advocacy groups, and I know we have our local municipal partners. Um, you know, the upcoming election is obviously very important um, to those of us who value and want to protect our <coughs> public schools. Um, and so it's good to know that there are a lot of people on the same team out there uh, batting to make sure that we're providing the very best that we can. So I just wanted to note that and say thank you to our to our allies. Great. Reverend Guy? Um, as Mrs. Owsley said, this was the first opportunity for the new board members to be involved in the negotiation process. And, um, and it was frustrating. I'll speak for myself. It was frustrating. I know it was for members of the community, too, because we aren't allowed to talk about it. Um, but I went back to the the budget presentation I believe that was made at our April meeting um, that listed all the things we wanted to do and it 
came to $15 million. And these weren't luxuries. Um, we're talking about providing social workers and counselors for our kids and um, allowing our high school teachers to teach five classes instead of six classes. These are things that we desperately wanted. And um, at the end of the day, there just wasn't the money to do all these things. So it was a frustrating experience. And I, again, I want to reiterate what Mrs. Owsley just said, what Mrs. Max said at a previous meeting, that this election is so important because the only way we're going to have all the funding that we need to do the things that are essential, these are essential for our students, um, is, is to be able to have a good working relationship with the people in Topeka. So. Um, I'm hoping that next year won't be quite as frustrating for us um, in the negotiation process because we are painfully aware of all of the needs in our district and um, it's beyond frustrating that we could not address them all this year. Thank you, Reverend Guy. Anyone else? I want to see if any students are with us today. If you want to raise your hands. All right. Stuck it out to the end. Stuck it out to the end. <laughs> any of them here because they're part of a, a civics or government class or anything like that? All right. Kudos. Thank you for being here. And I want to point out that we have a representative from our state legislature here. We have one from our city here. And so if those two want to raise their hand, you could really get a lot of points, I bet, uh, <laughs> if, if you engage with them as well. The last thing I'll say is thank you for coming at the beginning of the semester. Yeah. That whole back row is full at the end of the semester. So kudos to you for coming at the beginning. We appreciate that. Anyone else? Um, with that, we have a motion to move to executive session after a five-minute break. I move that we go to executive session to discuss legal matters with our legal counsel pursuant to the exception for matters which would be deemed privileged in the attorney-client relationship under COMA. Second been moved and seconded and um, why don't we add uh, a reconvene at 845 with no additional business afterwards. All those in favor please say aye. 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 Those opposed nay. That's 7-0. Uh, we'll have a five minute break and then we'll move to executive session. Thank you for being here tonight.